For your consideration, Searchlight Pictures presents Poor Things, a fantastical dark comedy from director Yorgos Lanthimos. Poor Things is the incredible evolutionary tale of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist Dr. Godwin Baxter. One of the best-reviewed films of the year and winner of the Golden Lion for Best Film at the Venice International Film Festival. Critics hail Poor Things as non-stop bonkers brilliance, sheer bedazzlement, and an instant classic. Starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef, and Gerald Carmichael. In select theaters December 8th, everywhere December 22nd. Get tickets today. Welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill. I write about filmmaking craft for IndieWire. My guests today are Chris Buck and Fawn Vera Sunthorn, the co-directors of Disney's Wish. Wish is not just the latest film from Disney's animation department. It's a celebration of the studio's 100th anniversary. And appropriately, it features a lot of tributes and Easter eggs for Disney enthusiasts. I asked Chris and Fawn about those homages, as well as how they work with actors and composers, what kind of real-world references they had for the fantasy kingdom in which the movie takes place, and a whole lot more. Here's our conversation. One of the things I loved about Wish, and I'm sure it's something a lot of people who grew up on Disney are going to love about it, is it's just such a rich celebration, obviously, of the studio's history and other movies. And before we delve too deeply into it, I was wondering if each of you could talk about your own history with Disney, both as fans initially and then how you came to work at the studio. I grew up watching Dumbo on VHS tape with my siblings, right? So I love that it opened up the world of imaginative, like so rich in color and talking animals. So that's my entryway into the, the Disney pantheon. And when I saw Beauty and the Beast in the theater, that's when I start feeling like I want to draw. I want to draw these drawings that move on screen. It was so beautiful, the music, the story. Um, I didn't know that it could be a career, not until much later in my life. That I was like, oh, people work on these and, and start to have this wish of working at Disney Animation, even though at the time not knowing how that can come true, you know, and it was a difficult journey to get here. But uh, I just cannot believe that I'm, I'm here working directing a Disney, uh, Disney movie that celebrate 100 years so f- for me uh I, I grew up before videotapes VHS um I saw Pinocchio in the theaters uh when I was like four or five years old and fell in love with animation that day and I know I I kept drawing and just everything about it, everything about Disney everything about the world of animation would just just intrigued me so anytime I was lucky enough to see a Disney film in the theater, I would just love it. Jungle Book, one of my favorites. I had the soundtrack album. So back then, instead of the VHSs, we had the soundtrack albums. And those I could obsess on. And I do remember dancing around the living room to Jungle Book, all the songs, um, much to the chagrin of my siblings. But yes. So it's 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 deep-rooted of the love of, of Disney. and. Um, and that's why, you know, that's what this movie, we try to, we try to bring that love back. And was, I guess, take me back to the origins of this movie. Was it always intended that it was going to be a hundredth anniversary celebration or did that kind of evolve once you started? What was the sort of starting point for it? Well, it started back in uh, 2018 and, and Jen Lee had said, listen, we've got the, uh, and we were finishing up Frozen 2 at the time. We had another year to go, but we've got the anniversary coming out, 2023. 
uh, we want to do something special. And we talked about we want to do an original movie, original characters, original songs, but definitely celebrate our, our legacy. So what helped at that point then was to figure out, okay, okay, that's a big, that's a big task right there. What are we going to do? And so we pinned up a frame from each of the movies on one bulletin board. And so you could look at the whole hundred years of Disney legacy right there. And of course, through different styles and everything, beautiful color palettes, all of that. But the thing that was pretty clear were uh, so many characters wishing on stars. And so the concept of the movie being about wishing came, came from that. And probably Walt whispering in our ears, wish, 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 it's got to be about wishing. Well, and I'm curious, you know, the, there's, again, such a rich history. There's so many things to choose from. And part of the fun of the movie is all of the little tributes to other Disney movies. And some of them are fairly explicit. And then there's others that are kind of buried underneath. And there's some that probably I didn't even get that I'm sure, you know, people who are obsessed with Disney probably would find. So what was your kind of overall philosophy about how you were going to integrate things from past movies? Yeah, we started with um, a goal of making an original film, original characters. All right, so when we work on that and we feel it's very solid, it's in place, we feel confident about it, putting it into production. Then the fun begins with collaborating with many artists that work here that also grew up on Disney films and they want to show their love and appreciation to, you know, to the legacy that has inspired mm -hmm. them. So people come up to us and say, in this scene, is it possible to put this character? No one will ever see it in this corner. <laughs> and then sometimes it will be an opportunity that presents itself to us that we were like, oh, this is perfect to put yeah. X into it. <laughs> And uh, as long as it's not distracting to mm -hmm. the storyline, you know, it, it becomes like such a hit of delight as you watch this. And yeah. it's like meeting old friends. And some are, are way more obvious than others. Right. Yeah, some are yeah. very, they're out there. <laughs> you know those, but there are a lot of hidden ones. One of the ones that there was a hidden one that I didn't even know they had done until they showed it to us several times. I said, no, 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 look, 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 look. And. Um, because I had animated Grandmother Willow on Pocahontas, the supervising animator on that, they put Grandmother Willow. She's in the back of one of the forest scenes. I'm not going to say which one because your uh, listeners and viewers will hopefully go and, and take a look. But she's, she's back there. But there's a lot of that kind of thing. And I'm sure there are a lot more that we don't even know. I know yeah. there's over 100. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, something I really enjoyed, too, as a fan, aside from just those specific references, was, you know, right from the start of the movie, as soon as, you know, I saw it at the El Capitan, and as soon as the curtains opened, and I saw, like, the cinemascope aspect ratio, and then the movie started, there was something about the texture of the animation that I thought was really interesting, where it feels modern, but there's also this quality that reminded me of when I was a kid seeing Sleeping Beauty on the big screen in the theater. Like, it just had that, it, it felt like a cinemascope printed on film kind of movie, even though I know it wasn't. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what the kind of guiding principles were for that visual style. We want to honor the legacy of the studios, right? So we went and looked at the very beginning, which is Snow White and Pinocchio, those films, the art style that inspired Walt himself. So that's where we, uh, how we come to the watercolor storybook look. And we feel like it's not enough just to do what has been done before. Right. When you open up the storybook, what if you can walk right into it and experience the set, the Ivan Earl, the Sleeping Beauty style background? How amazing that would be. 
So we work with our um, wonderful artists and technicians here to develop new technology to allow us to uh, bring in CG 3D technology to shoot the film in a way that the modern audience can connect with. And thank you for mentioning the aspect ratio. <laughs> We're like, there's all these screen space. Let's take all of it. Let's go the widest possible. And we make this film specifically for the theatrical experience to be able to sit in there, you know, with your loved one, your families, and be immersed in this experience. We were just so excited that it's, it's yeah. such an incredible opportunity to offer joy and hope and fun to our audience. And you had mentioned, you know, sort of the look itself. And, and I think that the, the texture, we actually, you'll see the texture of like watercolor paper on the backgrounds. And that was a very, you know, deliberate idea. And it's, you see it in those earlier films too. And, uh, and especially on the big screen for the detail, you can like mm. see all that. So it gives you that feeling. It evokes those, those classic movies. And yet again, like Fawn was saying, you were able to move around camera that we would never have been able to do that before. Yeah, no, I thought you guys did a really, really good job of sort of threading those two worlds. Uh, I'm curious what some of the influences were on the fictional kingdom where the movie takes place. I mean, what were your references, whether they be from other movies or from the real world? What kinds of research and work were you doing to create that milieu? Yeah, so want me to take this one? You go for it. <laughs> we wanted um, the, 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 the film to take place before any other European fairy tales that Disney has done. You know, that was kind of in the beginning, we're like, what if? So we went all the way back to the Middle Ages. So that's before Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, et cetera. Um, and we were looking for a location of where this would be. We knew we want this place to be a destination. So it's not set in existing place. That's why we landed on an island. Mm -hmm. A destination where people can come here from all over the world because the king is a magical one and can grant people's wishes. Why wouldn't you want to move there? So we settle in, um, in the Mediterranean off the coast of the Iberian Peninsula. So it's between different continents. And we work with consultant and uh, anthropologists to make sure that this scenario could happen. Yeah. It's a fictional, it's believable enough that you can see people from all around the world ending up there and building their life with hope that their wish can come true one day. Um, and I want to ask a little bit, too, about how you conceptualized certain characters. Like, um, you know, really loved the villain, Magnifico. I mean, yes. what were your kind of uh, conversations <laughs> like figuring out, you know, how you're going to approach that character? Well, the, the the first conversation was just like, we want to do a Disney villain. And we want to do a villain that we know is the villain from very early on. So mm -hmm. it's a character, as we've always said, with some of our favorite characters you know when they walk on the screen you're like oh my gosh i love this character well i basically i love to hate them <laughs> so that's what we wanted and so the little difference between some of our other characters because when they come on or villains when they come on the screen a lot of them they're fully formed villains you know right they're bad magnifico starts off as charming and he he has good intentions mm -hmm. in, in his mind he believes it's it's the way to go, but um, as the movie quickly unfolds through our protagonist Asha, we find out that his intentions maybe are not so good. And so, what you get to see is kind of the um, the origin story of a villain, or a little bit of the evolution of this villain, uh, sort of his descent into uh, 
into madness a little bit. And so, um, so that was different for us. That was exciting to do that. And then we were lucky enough to get Chris Pine, who just does a killer job of the charm. The charm is great. He oozes charm. And then the other side of it is he's able to play that, that villain aside so well. And what we loved is that he still kept, he still kept the humor that we wanted, even when he gets, you know, extremely villainous too. So, so yeah. Magnifico is a blast. And, and we're so lucky to have Julia Michaels and Benjamin Rice writing, you know, the villain song, writing all the wonderful songs on which, but Magnifico song, it takes you from the point A to point B. It starts off pretty happy and kind of bob, you know, you kind of <laughs> dance along to it. And then he, you get to see his evolution, the decision to go down the forbidden magic way and get obsessed and, you know, get overtaken by that <laughs> and be, and, and, and start the birth of a, an yeah. epic villain in one song. I thought that was an incredible job they did. Yeah. Well, since you brought up the songs, let's talk about that. I mean, what's the collaboration like with the songwriters and what <clears throat> kinds of conversations do you have with them going into this? Well, we kind of spot the movie, you know, you, you go through, where do you think the songs might be? What are the best, you know, these emotional tent poles that would be great. Some, you know, the ballads, the, the fun songs, the, the, the villain songs. So you, you have the map and then you talk to the songwriters about it. We talked to Julie about it. Uh, with This Wish, Asha's song, that was the first one she wrote. And that was very early on. And we didn't have the whole story fully formed yet, but we had enough of it that she could, she could go, I understand, Asha, I understand a song that I can write that you would feel that this, this young woman wants more than what they have right now. And, um, and you know, it was amazing. I think we only gave her like, like a couple paragraphs. Like this is this is yeah for that song. It was early is, on. We didn't have the whole yeah story. You know, it was very fluid at the time. Yeah, and and some songs uh, will have the whole script written, a scene written that we know this. The the emotion is so intense that one cannot speak. One have to sing it out loud. <laughs> and then she will have those those script where sometimes it's a bullet point. Amistad right. is kind of like a bullet point of like we need to answer. The question as to why Star could come down when someone make a wish. They were fantastic. And it was every song that they wrote, it was like getting a, a Christmas gift. You know, you're like, yes. and I know we would listen to it in the car on the way home. And just kind of, there were I, very few notes, I think, on the songs, you know. It yeah. was it was pretty, pretty smooth sailing, which was yeah. great. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up I'm a Star because watching the movie with an audience, that was one of my favorite sequences in the movie. I felt like it was just such a fun musical number. And mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit more about that scene and, and sort of how you conceptualize just, you know, not just the song itself, but the visuals that are going to go with it. Yeah, there was a big question in the story for us all working on it, right? Of like, how does this happen? How does a star comes down? You know, what kind of wish? How specific is it? And... um so we did research on the science of star. We talked to physicists. We talked to so many people. Uh, and we learned that the fact that we're all made of stardust, there's something within all of us that's still here. And we thought, stardust, Disney magic. It makes sense. We're going you know, to say that we all have these sparkles within us. And the, the magic of the star in your hope and dream and wish is what connects to the actual star. So that gravitational 
pull that the two has in each other. That's what pulled the star down. Star doesn't talk. We love the star as a pantomime character. So we're like, how would star tell this to Asha? How do you evoke this concept and feeling, which is part of our thema- overall thematic? You know, this song's very important to the story. And then we were like, well, in the Disney tradition, <laughs> there might be these things called called animals that might that, that might talk. And so we really let Star sort of, even though it's Star's song, it's the animals that do all the the singing yeah. and they do all the talking, and it's where Valentino gets his voice for the first time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a Star was like for us, it was just like. Disney to the max, right? We got the talking animals, talking plants, trees, everything. The, the forest just came alive. And then the color palette was amazing. Our, 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 our team they actually looked at um, Mary Blair's work in Alice in Wonderland and sort of, again, the rich colors. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes the backgrounds are very, very simple. And, and there's, there's not a lot of detail, but it's color color swatches and things like that that just give you this fantastic feeling very fantasy um all i can say is that for me it's like it is uh like i said it's disney to the max yeah it's so joyous and you know when you when you watch this scene listening to this song i don't think you can help yourself but smile there's something about it we talk about um be our guest and under the sea you know, as the song that does that, that, that kind of evoked joy in all of us. Mm-hmm. So we talked to the artists about those type of songs and let's make this a celebration of, 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 of life almost, mm-hmm. you know, of the magic that you didn't know you even have. And at the time, you would, might not know what that means until the, the end of the movie that that comes into play again. We like that A and B of it. I mean, to me, it seems like one of the big challenges of a movie like this or certainly something I would be terrified of if I was you is you, you're kind of under this pressure, you know. You're doing I'm like glad a, we're done with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, doing this 100th anniversary movie, you're kind of under pressure to create, you know, a classic Disney heroine in Asha. Mm-hmm. So what were your thoughts in terms of how you were conceptualizing her and what, how you saw her in the tradition of, you know, Disney heroines? You know, I, we, we love all our princesses. I've worked on <laughs> several of the princesses. I think we always go, we always go, uh, we don't necessarily look to the past. We always go to what does the story need? Mm-hmm. This, what is this original character? Who are they? And what is their journey throughout the film? And I think that we really kind of stick to that. Um, and Asha was a great case of that. Knowing that this journey was going to be tough, she was going to make this wish, um, but that she wasn't like what we, what we love about her is that she didn't come out like a leader. She's not, she has the aspects of it, but she doesn't quite know that she's a leader yet. And so she sort of steps into that, that role late in the movie, you know, when she starts to feel it and realizes it's up to me, you know. And so um, that's what I love about her. Um, Ariana DeBose does an incredible job. We, um, we really collaborated with her to make, Asha specific and unique and we watched so many videos of Ariana all the recordings of her her uh, vocal sessions animators would study they bring all the little intricacies and the subtleties and also she is she's a dancer 
and her movement is incredible. And even in the booth, when you have to stay on a mic, she would still be moving around and the animators would watch that, capture that. She came in and talked to the animators, talked about Asha. So that really helped, you know, along with what we had crafted for Asha. But then you've got the actor coming and really making that character very specific. Well, that raises another question for me, which is how fluid this process is in terms of, you know, I, I think I, as somebody who has never worked in animation, always wrongly kind of had this idea that the actors come in, they record their stuff, that's it, then it goes over to the animators and, you know, it's this sort of this like clean break, you know, and it sounds to me like maybe there's a lot more back and forth in terms of you're recording some stuff with the actors, then the animators are responding to that, then maybe the actors are coming in some well, more. Well, they, they come in... Oh, but Ariana was probably in. Two years? At least, yeah, for two years. But like every couple months mm -hmm. she would come yeah. in. And so there is. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of chicken and egg kind of yeah. stuff back and forth. And she would, she would learn. She'd look at some of the new animation that was there. And she's like, oh, okay, so Asha's, you're kind of doing this. Or I see my, my gesture up there. Uh, she would do that. Animators would get stuff from her from the new session. So it really, really is constantly growing and evolving. Yeah, and as we get to know Ariana between sessions, you know, having lunch together, hanging out and got, getting to talk to her about what she thinks about the character, then I think Asha becomes like clearer and clearer. I love that she, Ariana said that Asha is someone who's comfortable with who she is. You know, she moves freely, she speaks freely, and that kind of spirit, youthful, energetic spirit, mm -hmm. is something that I'm attracted to, right? And then, And I feel like, oh, this is a girl who's a, Regular girl who you can see yourself in, who's relatable, and is now one day tasked with this truth that she doesn't know who to say that to, and having to go on this journey of self-discovery, of learning, like Chris said, all the potential she has within herself already, but never had the opportunity to express it. Well, you know, it's funny, whenever I interview live action directors, I always ask about, you know, what kind of environment they create on set to facilitate the actor's best work. And so I guess similarly here, like... <laughs> Like, what kind of environment do you try to to create in the recording studio or the booth um, to make the actors comfortable and to get the most out of them? Well, there is one. <laughs> the very first session with Ariana <laughs> was uh, just to get her in the, the mode of, like, where well, you're going to be playing against this little cute ball star that doesn't talk. Okay, so we took a, a selfie stick. And just basically, we stuck. That was a little foam star. It's like on a stress it. ball in stress the shape of a Stress ball star, smiley face on it. And while she's recording her lines, you know, we're having the stick in front of her, being a little annoying at times, and all that. That was that was the very first session we had with her, so she already knew this is going to be <laughs> a different experience for her. But we try to make it so that it's as comfortable as possible. I think what. I've always thought that you, you, they're in there and they are, you know, they're so vulnerable in the booth, especially if they're by themselves. Uh, we can't always be in the booth with them. And so um, you, you create this, um, this environment that it makes it, make them feel free to try things. I always, I always look at myself as sort of a safety net for them. It's like, Try, 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 try. Trust us. We're not going to make you look bad, you know. We're not going to make you look silly. But there are things that you you have to go pretty far in animation. You have to really, really uh, go further than you would in live action. 
uh, vocally. So there is that that yeah. trust factor that uh, that you um, that you create at the beginning to say, you know, we're going to take care of you. Just just have fun. And I want to ask a little bit about the score for the movie too, because you know that's another thing. It's got a great classic Disney score by Dave Metzger, who I know, you know, I've talked to and, you know, he's, as far as I know, never composed a score for a theatrical feature film of this scale. So what led you to choose it? How did you know that he was the guy? Because he so clearly was. Well, I'd worked with Dave since Tarzan and he had done the orchestrations for the songs, not the score itself. Um, and Frozen and everything, and Dave's just been in our lives for a long time. And then it came up that who's going to be our composer. Mm -hmm. And it was our, you know, the name was there, Dave Metzger. And it was funny, you know, we knew Dave. We're like, oh yeah, Dave would be amazing. But then. I know Dave worked on every Disney film, but you know, for what I have done, I have not interacted with him. But I was blown away by the love in the room for Dave Metzger, whom I never met. And, uh, and I was like, he was, had been working with Disney for so long. He had never compose a full score yeah. like this would be a a dream come true to to him you know and clearly like everyone has trusted he would rock this <laughs> so i'm like let's do it and when i met with him he was so sweet he said that he thought the the chance has passed him by that mm -hmm. this would never happen you know maybe it's too late so happy that, yeah, that he's yeah. doing you were funny though because you you kept saying who is this date <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you can feel it in the score that it's, A, a labor of love because he's sort of doing the same thing with the music that you're doing with the images in terms of their little nods to scores of Disney past. Um, but also it does feel like this score by a guy who's like, this is my shot. Like, I'm going to, this is everything I've been thinking about in music for decades and everything I've thought about Disney for decades. And I'm going to put it all in this one yeah. score. And I feel like that just really made the movie. I just, I loved it. So yeah, he's, uh, he was the perfect choice for this. And. He also is so collaborative uh, in that he worked with, you know, Julia and Ben. So we worked with them on the songs, but then when it came to the score, he also wanted to incorporate ideas that they had or instruments that they had been using in the songs and all of that. Make sure that it all felt like of one, one fabric. So he was, uh, uh, although he's been around a while, he was just so open to learning and creating new and fresh. Yeah, and they come from such a different world, the contemporary pop world and, you know, orchestra and the combination of, of that. History and compositions are so pretty. And when things get scary, I love to go sit inside the scoring stage oh, yeah. to feel all that instrument, you know, many types of percussions that I never <laughs> knew existed before and just want to feel the vibration of those. It was awesome. Well, I suppose my last question is, you know, I think this movie is going to inspire a lot of people to kind of go back and dig into the Disney catalog and watch other Disney films, maybe revisit some they loved. For each of you, is there a sort of underrated Disney movie or, you know, movie that you would point people to that they should check out if they want to discover a really great one? Oh, underrated. Oh, underrated one. That's a good question. We always get asked what's our favorite. <laughs> um... Like, I'll tell you, mine would be Rescuers Down Under. I love Rescuers Down Under. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I can't, it's hard for me to talk about that era because a lot of them I worked on. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to go further back. Got it. <laughs> I have to go further back, but. Um, I guess it's not underrated, but from time to time, we'll go back and watch Alice in Wonderland, mm -hmm. you know, just to get a sense of, like, want to go into that 
strange little world <laughs> talking to Caterpillar. And, and <laughs> okay, not underrated necessarily, but one that is not always at the top of the list, I think, Lady in the Tramp. Mm -hmm. I absolutely adore the animation in that. I adore the characters in that movie and the stories. The story's very clean, very kind of simple story, so you can just enjoy the character moments and the songs. In it. Perfect. Great recommendation. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so for much. stopping by.